wasn't kidding. All right, there we go. Having a sip of water so we can ease on into another fun-filled episode of Terribly Funny. Hey there, gang. I'm your host, Steve Bazalone, and this is the podcast where I talk to funny people about uh, less than funny things that have happened to them. And today we have a fantastic guest uh, by the name of Ravi Patel. Ravi is an old friend of mine. I met him first back in, oh, uh, the early the early aughts, the go-go aughts, as I and no one else called them. Um, uh, but I met him when I used to run this television festival and he was an actor and a pilot that was there. And when I first met him, I was like, holy shit, this guy's a real charm monster and seems real talented. You know what? I bet you this guy's gonna go places. And guess what? Spoiler alert here, gang. He did. He did go places. Uh, you've seen him in things like um, Grandfathered. Uh, he was a real, real scene stealer in the Netflix show Master of None. Uh, and is also a producer and director uh, who had a fantastic documentary, uh, a hit documentary called Meet the Patels. Uh, if you've not seen it, please go see it because it's it's fantastic. You can rent it on iTunes or buy it on iTunes or just all the places where you can go and rent and buy things. Just do that because um, it's a fantastic documentary about a real life rom com about him and his love his love life and uh, his parents are adorable. His sister is really beguiling. It's just a lovely tale. You should go watch it. Um, so we're gonna get to Ravi in just a second. But I want to take a second uh, to take a quick little uh, a detour. Uh, normally when I do these intros, I like to keep them short and sweet. Uh, because honestly, who wants to hear what I have to say? Let's just get to the guests. They're far more interesting. But um, today I wanted to take a moment just to say that, uh, well, this is an important, this week is an important week for me. Um, October 4th marks the fifth year anniversary of when I had my cert- my uh, my colon removed, when I had the surgery to have my colon removed. Um, five years ago, on October 4th, I got up at five in the morning. Uh, myself and my, my then fiance, my ex-wife, we got up at five in the morning and drove to Glendale. And you might think that that sounds terrible enough in and to itself, going to Glendale at five in the morning. Well, you're right. But also uh, what came after that was... Uh, Getting my, my getting my colon removed and spending the greater the better part of three months in the hospital and having two subsequent operations, and uh, you know living in a lot of pain and going through a lot of periods where I wasn't sure if I was gonna make it, um, yeah. And that whole thing, that whole experience, was the culmination of you know nine years of living with a a, a chronic disease that left me pretty depleted, um, pretty depressed, uh, weighing about ninety pounds. Um, and it also gave me the, the the distinguished thrill, the adventure of having getting to shit myself all over Greater Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I, I used to shit myself all over the place. The Grove, sure, sure. The Beverly Center, yeah, you betcha. Uh, random bathrooms and restaurants all over the place, uh-huh, yeah. Multiple radio shacks, oh yeah, I did that. Um, which is a feat that I'm particularly proud of because really, can you even name where there's more than one radio shack? Can you think of one more than one radio shack? Exactly. And yet, I found several of them, and I shit myself in all of them. Um, and honestly, I think after shitting myself in several Radio Shacks, you couldn't even tell it happened. Because that's what how bad a Radio Shack is. Uh, radio Shack burn. Um, <laughs> anyways, I just wanted to uh, talk about this period because... Um, October 4th has kind of become a, a second birthday for me. It's... Um, it was when it marks the occasion when I got my life back. Um, because before that, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep going. And uh, that marks a, it's a line in the sand of 
where things kind of got better. Um, and just want to kind of say to all of you who are out there listening, who are kind enough and generous enough to spend time with me talking to people about earnest things, um, that if right now, if you are in something, some sort of tumultuous, difficult life uh, thing that's happening that you are struggling with and you're having a hard time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, um, I just want to say here to attest that you eventually will. Uh, pretty soon you will turn around and it'll be five years later and um, it'll just be a kind of a memory, a distant memory, one that was very, you know, informative and uh, formative in who you are now, but um, it's just a memory. You will, you will make it through it. So that's what I have to say about that. And also I thought I'd share a little story because that's what this whole podcast is about. It's about telling funny stories amidst terrible things. Um, when I, uh, about a year before I had my colon removed, um, I used to be an actor. I used to do acting stuff sometimes, and occasionally I would do uh, commercials just when I had the time or the wherewithal. And I was shooting a commercial for Philips Colon Health Supplements, something like that. That was the product. And um, the, the, the role that I was cast in was to play Diarrhea Elevator Guy. Yeah, Hollywood, isn't it? Isn't it something? It's all glitz and glamour. Um, but I spent 11 hours in like a tiny little elevator shooting this, uh, this commercial where I played diary elevator guy. Uh, it was very fun, very fulfilling, very glamorous as most doing commercials usually tends to be. Uh, so after doing that for 12 hours, I drove home. I took the elevator up to my apartment and whilst in the elevator, you guessed it, I shit myself. Oh man, art imitating life. Diarrhea elevator guy. Don't ever say I'm not a method actor. Uh... <laughs> So that's it. I just thought that was a fun little thing to share with you, gang. Um, and just to say, again, uh, if I have not said enough, thanks for just listening to all this. It's it's delightful. Uh, but enough of me. Enough of me rambling. Let's get to Ravi. Ravi is going to talk to us about something I think is uh, pretty universal, and that is the innate desire in all of us, the inexplicable need to be liked. So let's see what Ravi has to say about that, shall we? Let's get some theme music. Here it comes, guys. Another episode of Terrible There's eight different baby seating situations behind yeah, you. Bonkers. Well, this is kind of nice, though. We're doing it in your, your daughter's future home yep. with legit nine places for her to sit and sleep and cry. Yeah, I, I'm a little concerned about how much money my wife's been spending, but I think I'm guessing most of this is free. Sure. Because I like. Did you have a shower? Are you going to have a shower? Yeah, the shower is coming up. Okay. It's this weekend. You're gonna get. Well, that's very. That's very coming up. Yeah. That was. It took you too long to realize it. Yeah, it took me way too long. That's how. I'm glad you. I could not be less involved. No, it seems like you're really hands on. (laughs) Seems like you're really invested here. It's actually it's pretty pathetic, man. But yeah, you're being a dad though. That's pretty fucking rad. I'm so excited. I'm yeah. so excited. Your, your baby has a, a, a record player. That's from the old house, but yeah. yeah. Might, so she she's going to be a chill baby, man. Pretty she's sure very in the know. Pretty sure Mahalia will maybe throw that away. Nah, you, have, you want like a, like a, you know, it's hot, a girl DJ. A lady oh, DJ. Oh, that is sexy. Yeah, exactly. That's the road, that's the road you're paving for right now with that record player. We'll have to see how hot, if she's super hot, I don't want to be a DJ. I'm just, <laughs> I'm worried. I, I told my what wife. What do you want her to be? I want her to be like a seven. 
No, no, I mean, it's under the predication that she is a very attractive person. If she's hot? What vocation do you want her? Because you want her to be a DJ because that's a weird cult culture and she's doing a lot of drugs and she's around a bunch of douchey dudes. Right, right. But maybe right. she's like a cool, like, you know, like a slick DJ, like a Samantha Ronson. She's making Yeah, if she's friends. like an alpha DJ, then, sure. then I could see it working. I mean, if she's hot, I think she's just screwed no you're matter just, what. No, you're, she's fine. You're going to have a problem with it. She's going to have a great life. <laughs> You're the one who's gonna have the issues. <laughs> you might be right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because my, my wife is is like beautiful. And yeah, yeah, I've, I, I've seen her. I'm so constantly confused by how humble and well adjusted, yeah, confident, decent. Well, the confidence makes sense. The confidence makes the confidence sense. that makes. But sense. the like self confident don't need validation. Sure. And mixed with the humble and like she had a good base, I assume. She was probably raised well. She, was she had a good stuff. base. I think she may have had an ugly base. I think that's... <laughs> well, that's also a thing. Like, yeah. I feel like uh, people... Somebody had a, a room pit. Uh, somebody was talking about like... That guy has like an un, undue amount. They were talking about somebody who was like, she's too confident. He's too confident for who he is. Yeah. And then you go back and see him in high school. and like, oh, that's why. He was a fucking stud in high school. And then, you know, I grew up and like Wait, life happened. Does that carry, that carries through in adulthood? I think that's when it's, that's like when you're, that's when you're being formed. Right. Like my, my dad, for example. Yeah. He is. But real confidence, not false confidence. Because the guys who didn't grow up with that actually come to Hollywood to become actors, writers, and producers, and they're too confident in the bad way. Well, maybe. Well, that's maybe, that may be like just you're putting on too much or you're trying to be like too much. I don't know. Right, 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 okay. But, well, what about your dad? Well, my dad was like, he has been, at least he says, I didn't know him then, but he says he's been the same size that he is now outside of, you know, just getting older and chubbier. Mm-hmm. He's the same size that he is now when he's 12 years old. So like he was like athletically crushed. Like he was mm-hmm. like a running back and like, pl- like played all the positions and like was a great baseball player and just was like, cause he was fucking so much bigger than everybody. Right. right. And I think it like it imbued him this like sense of confidence because right. like that just never went away. Cause he was like, I'm fucking... I destroy. I destroy. And then I think as even as he got older and everybody caught up to him and got way bigger than him because yeah. he's like smaller than me. He's stockier, but he's shorter. But I think he just like, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm great at this. Well, I think that's also that age where that self-image is really built in. Yeah. At the age Because by the way, I was the same age, I mean the same height yeah. as I am now when I was 12. Well, there we go. But it was a very opposite story. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, got, I was short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. See, like, I was, I think I hit puberty, like, very, not very late, but, like, in a freshman year, like, really. Uh-huh. And, like, I had, like, awkward hair and was chubby and, like, had a dirt stash and, like, had long hair down on my shoulders. I want to see a picture of this. Oh, it's great. It's great. And because, like, just being contrarian, because, like, everybody in music and all the kids with long hair parted down the middle, because that right. makes sense. Right. I parted on the side. I look like a fucking disaster. Well, you look like a girl. Yeah, yeah. But, like, <laughs> yeah. it was just the worst. Um, were you, like, who were you in high school? Which guy were you? Uh, I was trying, well, I figured it out early-ish, but, like, I think because I wasn't as athletic and I wasn't, um, smart enough, but, like, I think I just learned to, like, I learned, I, like, I think the greatest skill that public school taught me was the act of, the art of bullshitting. They taught me how to be charming, taught me how to bullshit, taught me how to, like, 
you know, cozy up to teachers to get extra credit yeah. to like talk to the kids who had actually studied and I hadn't and yeah. like, okay, so what are we, what do I need to know? What are the hot, the hot tips here? Yeah. Do you give me my cliff notes? I think that's yeah. what that. You knew your PR strategy. Yes. And yeah. like I can be just like, try to be a little bit funnier and then yeah, all right, people, yeah, sure. Take this, take this answer. You were a charming guy. I you tried to. A likable, funny guy. Where did you, did you get women at all? I did. Once puberty kicked in, and once I got the lead in the musical, and then it was like all of a sudden. Was that in high school? Sophomore year of high school. Yeah. Oh, because I went for me. You were in theater. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great racket. If I had known about it, should have done that. Oh, I would. Look, there's a lot. Most. I mean, I'm really happy with my life. Sure. Yeah. If I could, if I could not know what today would be like, Uh but know everything I know today. I would go back and tell Ravi to do everything opposite. For sure. Like Costanza. Yeah. Just do the opposite of what you did. Yeah. Because you're Mr. Charlie. And you're also like a successful, talented actor. You could have been doing that earlier on. And there was like a, well, like that's why I was a swimmer for a long time. And I stopped doing that because I did it for such a long time. I was like practicing like two hours a day, six days a week. Oh, you were in. Like when I was like 11. And it's like, that's Uh too much for an 11 year old. And then like I discovered like theater. And I was like, wait, this is like way less. I'm kind of better at it. And there's women who pay attention to me here when I'm like 12 years old. Right, right, right. That didn't exist in, in Swift. How motivated were you by women at that point in your life? Um, not a ton, but enough so that it was like, well, this is new. I wasn't yeah. like, you know, I wasn't like a 15, 16 year old who just was in a walking erection, but like I was 12. Yeah. I'm like, ah, anybody's paying me attention? <laughs> oh man, what a new experience. <laughs> Do you have good guy friends? Yeah, a couple here and there. Yeah. But like most of the good ones I made were from theater. Yeah. And then Emerson was just like blossom. Because everything I've heard of, because I know so many of you guys you do, you at the same time. Yep. And it just sounds like it was the most incredible. It just feels like a bigger version of high school theater. In yeah. terms of like how incestuous and like in a fun way. Very incestuous. Yeah. Um, everybody assumed, I think everybody just assumed everybody was gay at some point. That was just kind of the environment. Everybody and most of them turned out to be right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of like, oh, that was a solid assumption. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but you are a shitty actor, but yep. you were right about the game. Yeah, I was right about the right. Well, I was, actually, I was right about two things. I thought you were a shitty actor, too. Um, so, thank you for having me to your nursery. Yeah. Uh, tell me some shitty stuff. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, also, thanks for the Guinness Blonde. Yeah, dude, I'm glad you're excited. I should get my beer. Yeah. Um, worth uh, mentioning to your listeners that sure. we are in my baby's future yep. bedroom and we are in the first week of kind of putting this thing together. Your house. Did a great job in the house. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll have you over when it's finally done. But yeah, I look forward to it. We've got a lot of carriages and that's a bathtub, I think. And I don't know what the rest of these things are called, but things that my baby will see. Bassinets, mostly, yeah. I think. Rockers. Yeah. Yeah, baby stuff going on. A lot of baby stuff. Yeah, then eventually this is the this is by far like the creepiest environment. Two men sitting in lawn chairs (laughs) amongst a bunch of bassinets. We're tailgating. We're tailgating for the baby. baby. And like this, the baby's not here soon. We're gonna be hammered. (laughs) Yeah. So you want me to figure out? So okay. So as you know, I texted you today because I was think as I was listening to, you know, Annie's conversation about a miscarriage. Gary's conversation about being poor and freaking mm-hmm. out. I was like, you know what? And I told my sister about this because, you know, we're riding together and yeah. hung out all day and I was like, hey, is this bad? Like, I, I don't know what... 
I have two problems. One, I do have a very good life. Which is great. I, I That's not a problem. Well, it is to the extent that, okay, I have a great family. I have incredible friends. Right. I've never been to a funeral. I've been mostly... You've never been to a single funeral? never been to one funeral. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Man, I've given four eulogies. <laughs> You've had it rough. You're the opposite of yeah. me. Uh, and they were all probably in the last 18 months. Yeah, they're, they're, that was this tonight before I came over. <laughs> I am exhausted. No, you crush sadness. I mean, you, you were really, you're yeah. on a tear. You got a frequent flyer card. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've just, I've just not had, and, to, and, and I also think, okay, also I have a bad memory. Okay. And I think I'm overly optimistic. So all of that combines to serve as well, These no, things sound great. Yeah, but, but when it comes to like, tell me about something terrible from your past, right. it's like, I may not remember it, and if I do, I have probably by now turned it into some like romanticized positive memory. So I, so I started that my nice sister. Though? That's a nice, that's a nice facet. It's nice, but there's a bullshit side to it, right? Yeah, but like, I mean, that's what I've done for like, that's what this whole thing's about, right? Yeah. It's about like, the things that have maybe like, who have been arduous, that have been hard, that have been like shifting and shitty at the time but like how looking back I'm like oh I'm a better person now or yeah. you know at least I'm a smarter person in some capacity yeah and that's like just waxing nostalgic but like you learn shit from that yeah I mean I think you learn shit from kind of all these kind of points of difference in your life and regardless of how tragic they seem from the outside they're always really important in your own personal yeah. development I was trying to think of like some of these moments and the one that I thought of, because I've been doing so many interviews this last year, I was like, okay, uh-huh. I don't want to talk about the relationship stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. You, and, you, but don't you like, you like a cliff notes now, like you can do an autopilot, right? Well, that's also another reason why I didn't want to talk about it, because, sure. because... It's not new. It's not new, and I was like, you know what, I, in order for it to be new and to be really uh, authentic... Mm-hmm. It would take actual real work. Like I would have to really like it would have to be like the perfect storm of like your interests and the questions you asked and my kind of awareness. And probably like a, quite a few more against blondes. And quite a few more against blondes. Yeah. And I would have to be an asset and I'd have to somehow not answer it the way I've answered it or think about it the way I've thought about it. And right. this time I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. And I thought about, okay, like one of the things that has been on my mind is you know, why do I have kind of the personality that I have today? Mm-hmm. And by the way, I go to therapy and couples therapy, so I think about all these things. I'm yeah, sure. Like, You're an evolved person. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm You're a modern man. Yeah. yeah, I'm a guy who lives in LA. <laughs> well, and, that's also And an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, you know, I, I remember, and this is something I've never told anyone, and I was even feeling a great deal of shame as I thought about it and wondering if I should even talk about it and then when I I should just tell you sure so um my I think it was junior or senior year of college okay North Carolina right North Carolina University of North Carolina Chapel Hill um you know I, I, a lot of my friends from high school went with me to college uh we, we sent like 46 people from my class oh, wow. and like almost my entire crew that's nice cousin. yeah and in, in Chapel Hill, I was, uh, like, like you know me as a guy who's like probably like, you know, when I'm at a party, I'm very social and talking. Yeah, you're very gregarious. Right, yeah. right, gregarious, right? Yeah. The difference between the gregarious guy that you know today versus the guy that was in college was the guy in college was like, like, doing it at the expense of like his closest relationships. Right. So I would walk around Chapel Hill 
and I would know the door guy at every bar. I would know the bartender. I walk mm-hmm. right in. I get free drinks, and I would show up there with my crew of friends. But I'm not necessarily spending time with them at all while I'm at that bar. Right. And I'm just kind of like increasingly expanding my social network, not because I have some sort of a like need, like that I'm trying to like build some empire, but because I think I got off on it, and I loved this innate desire to be liked and to be like yes. treated like a little bit special. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think like when I th- I think like my entire life, I've had a chip on my shoulder, as if I'm proving people wrong, and I don't even know who it is that's thinking less of me, but I've always that's... felt kind of like an underdog in every well, capacity. I mean, what was the what was like the ethnic makeup of the town you grew up in? I mean, were you, in essence, was there, a, was there a large Indian population? So, I was in Illinois, Freeport, Illinois, a small town. I imagine that's a pretty right white up. town. But I almost entirely hung out with Indians because my parents had other oh, really? friends. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was mostly white. I mean, look, I live in America. And, yes. But I've always actually had, I'm one of those guys that actually has always had Indian friends around me. So it's not about like just growing up in like a place of actually feeling... Like, I have a chip on my shoulder because I'm different. It wasn't that. I think, I think it was that, but it wasn't just that I was brown. I right. think it was, I think being brown had a lot to do with it, but like, I think it also had to do with the fact that like, I didn't feel like the guy who was like the coolest or the most attractive or sure. um, even like the, the most successful at anything. You know what I mean? And I, I think, you know, I also just felt. I think I've always had like this deep need to have like really important relationships and it took me a long time in my life to figure out what those relationships would look like. Right. Like as you know, I have a lot of really like, I have a lot of bros. Yeah. I fucking love bros. You got some bros. Yeah. And my mom told me, she said she, like party bros, twice a year bros. Bros, bros for different, bros for different phases. For sure. Um, and my mom thinks it's because, uh, she, what's it called? She gave birth to a son and then he died like three days later. That's not a miscarriage after that, right? Uh, two know. weeks later. Bad stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not stillborn. So yeah, I yeah, I yeah. Know. But she thinks like psychologically somehow that, has, that, that had an impact. And I have this memory in college, and I know I haven't told the story yet, um, of well, two memories that really stuck out. One was when we got to Carolina, all the guys had like paired up to become roommates, all the guys from high school. Okay. And my friend, the guy I thought was a friend, had he still didn't have a roommate. And I remember like calling him and saying, hey man, do you want to be roommates? And I noticed that like nobody wanted to be my roommate, even though I thought these right. guys were all like my best friends. And I remember him saying like, yeah, I guess. What? Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, one of my best friends today. In fact, he and I talked about it Huh. Like two years ago or a year ago. What was the reasoning? Was he? He. I just none of these guys like. I think. It, I think it was me. I mean, I think. Everyone liked being around me, but didn't like adore me. Do you think it was a part of what you were talking about that, like, you had this desire to kind of. Get, get garner attention. Yeah. And you were good at it, and you were like a showman. Yeah. I think it was a lot of that. I, I mean, I, I think, I, I think, you know, I, I held people, first of all, to these really high standards. Like one of my friends, I remember, called me like the moral supremacist. 
and I think I held people to these really high standards, but then I wasn't actually holding myself to that standard. Like I wasn't there as like a close friend of them. And I remember having this moment. So I went, it was spring break. I want to say it was junior year of college. And I found out that like all my friends made spring break plans, but didn't invite me. Oh fuck. And this was like, that's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking, man. And I, I and they made plans together? It wasn't just like, we're all one. And I remember we were all hanging out on a Sunday watching The Simpsons and I find out about it. Everyone was just kind of like... And it was Oof. such a weird... And these are guys I'd at that point been friends with for... Like, best friends for like eight, seven, eight right. years. So, like, that's like a real mindfuck. You know yeah. what I mean? And spring break was going on and... It, I ended up driving down to the Keys by myself for spring break and kind of like almost winging it like I because I knew a million people there right I was like I almost had like this weird social status where everyone's like Robbie's cool and like yeah so there was like all these people who were like Rob gotta come, come hang out I'm like oh right. maybe I'll come crash you but like really I was like so alone and sad I mean when I, I remember when that, that spring break thing like I cried I was like I was like what is wrong with me what, what am I doing wrong I was mad I was like these guys are assholes like I, I, I have terrible friends these guys are horrible people um, and, and, and that set me in a journey of really like that's when I started to change I think well did you did you initially like lash out like that okay these guys are the problem or did you start looking inwards was it no no it wasn't immediately introspective so I, it was like immediately like fuck these guys first of all I had no I had no level of self reflection at that point in my life right I mean I hadn't stopped to think about what I want to do with my life right uh what matters to me? I mean, college was just like drinking and playing basketball. Like that's it. Sounds normal and fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 I had this thing where I think because I was charming, and because I was smart, and I was like able to kind of get by and get decent grades, I never had to deal with. I mean, right. going back. I mean, like as you know, theme your podcast. I mean, like these moments are when you actually get to learn a lot about yourself sure. and form new habits, right? And I think. That was kind of the beginning of me really starting to understand. And I think like my first reaction I remember then was that I had two two high expectations of the people around me and it pushed them away. And therefore I need to learn to set friends like on a scale from one to 10 at different degrees of kind of expectations. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? And I actually do think that was an important, an important lesson. I still carry parts of it with me today. But the part that I think was wrong was that I also said to myself, like, you can't change people. You can't teach people how to be a good friend. And, you know, today, fast forward to today, I have, like, I love my friends. And I have, you know, I pretty much only, you know, hang out. I haven't been to a party in, like, three months. Right. And I, you know, I I pretty much, like, my highest priority is, like, loving the people that love me. And my role with them is, like is being the guy like I work really hard to be there for those guys or like, like I've definitely put I've probably put 10 guys in LA in therapy I've, I've been yeah. I've been the guy to take three people to their first you know uh, AA or whatever meeting and you know I think it's in great part because of this moment that moment and also like I think I so desperately like want intimacy now because of that because well, I feel I feel like I didn't have it for some time. Yeah, because that's like a moment of feeling like, oh, this reality that I, th- I everything I knew to be true, 
is just like kind of dust now. It's particles. It's not real. Yeah. And I don't know, it's like the equivalent of like if you have like 50,000 Instagram followers and you get a ton of likes. Yeah. But then you don't really have anybody to call you to take you to the airport. I think it's exactly that. Right? Yeah. I think that's exactly what it was. I mean, that's a douchey metaphor, but yeah. No, it's, I think it's pretty... I think it's... Thank you. Pretty relevant. And, and, and I think it's on the nose. I mean, and that... And the irony of, of all that is what I do for a living. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's like what you're, you're training for, in essence. Like, that's... You walk into a room as an actor and you... I was a performer. People, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, you know it's funny because I, I don't think anyone's... People probably have, but I don't remember anyone saying it. Like, that could be why... Maybe that's how I ended up. Like, maybe I was always performing. Maybe that, right. I, mean, I definitely wasn't... Well, that's kind of what you're doing, right? You're glad-handing people and getting people to like you. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. So in this moment when you realize, like, that you didn't have plans for the spring break, did you... Did they, like, make you want to work harder to develop intimacy with these people? Or did it, like, kind of set you down a dark path only to, like, circle back around and become the more evolved person that you are now? Both. I wanted to... Get close. I'm best friends with all these guys, and I, yeah. I think real relationships with them. Right. Uh, but I think it's because I, I earned, kind of, the intimacy with them in a way that I hadn't before. Right. Um, and I, you know, I also think like these bonds get get deeper with time. But also, I think that that was like the first that I can remember, like, really kind of, traumatic event to kind of lead me down this existential journey I'm like who am I what do I want what matters to me and look two years after that you know I I was in like investment banking after college and I was and I I just remember feeling so dark Mm. like alone and empty and like uh, just like why why are you what are you doing like why are you what is this? Like, you're better than this. And I think I always, like, assumed that my life would be, like, great. I always, like, felt like I was going to be, like, a big deal. Sure. Well, that's, like... But it's <laughs> to myself, by the way, not, yeah. like, a... Well, you no, know. of course. Everybody yeah. thinks that, but they don't like to say that, because then you're, like, yeah. a monster. <laughs> um, but, like, isn't that the thing of that age period where you're just, like, oh, everything's going to be great. Yeah. Because I am, in the back of my head, I'm special. And it takes these moments in which, like, your friends don't invite you to something... Or yeah. like you get to, you're in a, a career and you're like, this is not fulfilling and this is also <laughs> not fun. Right. And I don't feel like the special person that I thought I was. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, but it sounds like you didn't, like, it sounds like you had it kind of easy based on what I heard. Like, so like, first of all, like being like really good at swimming already gives you like a really tight knit community, right? And then... Well, yeah, but it was when you're young and you're so awkward and it wasn't like I was, it wasn't like a, you got to like the, the team that I think you really get to in high school, like I already jettisoned that at that point and I like mm-hmm. abandoned that. So, yeah, I mean, I was an awkward kid, like a little bit. I mean, you know, I was like, until like I hit puberty, I... Like a similar story. This is like a very douchey story. One okay. that not many people know, but like, Great. so somewhere between, basically like somewhere between my junior year or my, rather my freshman year, like midway through my freshman year till the beginning of my sophomore year, I 
went from having this awful, like, kind of long, very long flowing mullet, like the worst hockey Eastern European block mullet you've seen. And was being, this like, post? This was this was post long hair. This was like during this period. So like I, I had really long hair freshman year. And then you were phasing up. Yes. So I had really long hair. And then from like the end of freshman year to the beginning of sophomore year, I basically got a haircut, got rid of all that terrible hair, and went from being like 5'4 and like 120 pounds and to being 5'9 and 120 pounds. So I took like this chubby little like long haired kind of uh, Morrissey fan looking kid right. and turned him into like kind of me. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and then right on the heels of that, like I, you know, I was I, I managed to get the lead in the musical. So like I had like the surge of confidence, and like suddenly right. because like I'm not this five four little kid, like girls are paying attention to me. Right. Right. And then that year I went to a pre college program at Carnegie Mellon. So I went to this pre college program where you go in the summer. And what is it? It's like you. It's like it's you know like a trial run through college. It's a six week thing. You pay for you get like classes from you know college teachers and you live in a dorm and it's fucking so that's just like a fuck fest that's camp kind of it wasn't a fuck fest for me but like i think yeah basically it was like you're you're living by yourself right it's not like a governor school program yeah Yeah, and i did that the year afterwards yeah so i went to this and then they gave out like superlatives at the end of the year Mm -hmm. or at the end of the session and this is like the douchey part but like i inexplicably one best looking holy crap yeah. that is huge so wait that is <laughs> that's amazing yeah all right so wait wait, wait. Well, once you win that lifestyle you're good well you're you're i was 16 oh, years come old. on 16 okay. years exactly old. that lasts forever well here's the thing so like the gift the like the superlative trophy was like a mirror so it's like <laughs> it. of course it is of course it is so that's, that's genius. Yeah. Who like won also, best superlative trophy uh, maker? I don't know. That guy, he won like... <laughs> but then like a month later, like all my friends, all my friends who like didn't go to this program and like who were like I'd been friends with like, you know, a couple of years, they actively broke it. And then afterwards they're like, you're being an asshole. Like, I don't know what's happened to you, but like you're being like... You're like kind of shallow, and you're like being you're being dismissive, and you're not like a kind person anymore. Yeah, you're like yeah, uh, I'm best looking. Yeah, I'm Steve Bessler. But then like that, that, but that was like a moment that like really like it like stopped whatever fucking negative thing of like hitting puberty and getting a lot of attention all, right, right. all at once. It like stopped that because then I was like, oh, I feel shame and right. I feel like an asshole. And Wait, just, they broke the trophy by the way. Is that what you just said? Yeah, I mean it was a mirror, so they broke the. Mirror. So they broke the mirror. Yeah, that's this is. I mean. Yeah, that should be. But it was like this moment. Was, it was like a moment, like akin to like nobody inviting you to spring break. Well, they had an intervention with you. Kind of. I mean, like I don't think that was the intention, but they were just kind of like, "Stop being an asshole." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And it was, it was just this cold water in the face, and like, "Oh, yeah, like being an asshole." This sounds yeah. like the douchiest story, but no, it no, like it's not a douchey story. You know, the reason why I'm sorry, if I'm making a face, it's one because I'm not good at not covering. You know what? What stop? Like, I don't know if this is. I'm just gonna say so. I have this memory. You and I became friends through Audrey. Yep. I think through Audrey or Gary. At the, the television festival. That's where I met you? Yeah. And that's where you met Lauren, too. No, I met, I met her doing theater and I was oh. 11 years old. Oh, okay, okay. I thought, because I just listened to Lauren and you said you met at a festival. I was like, oh, did we, we all meet there? We, we, we re-met at the New York festival. This is ah. my ex-wife. Yes. Oh, yeah, your ex-wife. Your ex-wife. Which, by the way, that episode. Oh, 
<laughs> so much. I like stuff. just talking about the greatest hits here. So much emotion. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just knock it out. Uh, so much good emotion in that thing. Um, I did you? Let me ask you this. So my opinion of you mm-hmm. back then, mm-hmm. and I, I think I want to say I was telling this to Carmel at one point. And she got really fucking mad at me. Okay. She's Our like your friend big, Carmel. She's yeah. like your biggest advocate. She loves you. I love her too. By the way, we're, we're so my she was my college girlfriend. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I, I there was a part of me where like I didn't know what to make of you because we were friends, but then I also thought I was like, either he doesn't like me or he's superior. Have you gotten that before, or did you feel that vibe with me at all? No. Um, <laughs> that sucks. No, no, no. I mean, like the superior thing. I don't know. Uh, but I when you said that, that's what it, that's what hit me. I was thinking. Right. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like a mannerism of his. That's not actually the intention. Like, I was wondering if you'd heard it plenty of times outside of me. I think there is a. Um, I am a naturally sarcastic person. Right. And I think there's been times in my life where I've been. Uh, dissatisfied or unhappy or right. like you know like when I was sick I with the sarcasm just got more and more because I was like angry about a thing right so then it took on so perhaps it, it, that's it, kind it of, morphed into like a passive aggressive yeah where to me it's just like I'm making yeah. jokes but to everybody's yeah. like yeesh yeah bro. well that took how many years did that did that thing last my being sick for nine years yeah, yeah. and so I did I don't think I really was aware of it to like those last like four like the really bad last right. where there's the last like three or four that were yeah. horrible yeah and that was not long I think my dog's out there yeah yep there she is doing some sniffing um should I let her in when she moved to the um I'm just she's <laughs> she's just gonna sit there and keep doing this hi Coco come in hey Coco hi this is Coco hi there again all right, you're on a podcast, Coco. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she loves the crowd. Yeah, of course. She's, right. she's your dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. She's a Patel. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, oh, well, uh, um, in those last few years, uh, I just, I just remember, I, just, I just felt so bad for you. And I remember whatever like I didn't I never like disliked you by the way. Well, it was good. it was a, it was it was it was like but I do remember kind of pulling away because I was confused. Right. I was like, oh like I get maybe we're just not friends or we're not right. or he doesn't like me or whatever and you know, because um, I did feel like I was getting like these comments where like I was like, Oh, he thinks I'm an asshole or stuff like that. So hmm. like and then when you got sick, I just remember like all of those thoughts completely went away because I just, like, once I heard, I mean, I was like, oh my God. Like, so I, I got to get out of Joe Free Card. You got to get out of Joe Free like, Card. Yeah, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He might be an asshole, but he's a sick asshole. So it's. <laughs> that, is, that is kind of yeah, it. Honestly. No, but I just felt so much pain for you because I was like, oh my God. Like, You're an empathetic person. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, like, so off of my shit, like, how did, was that the period in when you were a junior? Or a sophomore, junior in college, where like that empathy started to kick in. It took years upon years. I mean, it wasn't just like a one or two year thing, but I do think it started then. Right. And then I think you know having that first job out of college, where I'm really out there in the world on my own, and then leaving North Carolina altogether, mm-hmm. and essentially starting anew. You know, in terms of like everything. Yeah. And 
you know, I think I just got really lucky. My sister is, you know, was already in LA and she is such an incredible, thoughtful, empathetic, just emotionally intelligent person. So, and, and, and my parents are like that. And one of my best friends from high school, um, actually came out here with me. Right. Wit. Yeah. yeah sure. met. And so I was surrounded by a lot of love and then I just think I got lucky that because of them I ended up in LA. And because I was in LA, <laughs> I became a guy who like loved self help books and and was really into introspection. <laughs> so that was coming out here and having like a luxury to will be surrounded by other people who were maybe somewhat self uh, involved. Yeah. <laughs> Allowed you in like a positive way to become more self-involved, but like in a, in a way that helped you grow. In a way that, in a way that helped me grow and also like just all, you know, the whole career hustle and, you know, becoming an artist, I think played a big part of that because, um, you know, when you're, I fell into acting as you know, mm-hmm. so I didn't earn my way there and I, I also didn't think about it beforehand. Right. And so what happened was I was making a good amount of money doing this thing that I knew everyone else wanted to do and I was kind of like I definitely had like some degree of like like people like were either jealous or respected or something like it was something that people were like admired one way or another and and yet I felt like a phony for so long right and I didn't and I I even just for the first couple years I didn't even tell people I was an actor because I I wasn't even proud of it I didn't it wasn't something I aspired to do and then like once as it you know it, be, it just becomes the thing you soak up where yeah. everyone's like everyone tells you how great you are for you know or you know like how cool it is that you're doing this thing and like I'm like okay yeah I do want to be an actor this is great and you felt like a little ashamed and that. all my other friends yeah I felt ashamed yeah. and all my other friends who don't live in LA were so jealous of my life and so I was like yeah I was like okay yeah I'm an actor and then I think almost probably because of the documentary because so I had quit acting twice in the first uh, seven years I was an actor. I quit. Yeah, I remember having one of those conversations with you. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm done doing that. And you were starting some other, some other, you know, yeah, nonprofit of some sort. Right, 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 right. And and I was making money. It's not like I was like, I was like making a good life, but I was like, this doesn't like this fucking sucks. Okay, now look, I've also been fortunate enough to work in a lot of terrible stuff, and so it was especially betraying. Because it was not fulfilling, but also, and I said this to you earlier, like when you work in art and you do something that you're not getting, like is not fulfilling, it is, I think, more betraying than like being a bad accountant. Right. Like you, you, it just, it just eats at your soul. And so I found myself feeling like lost and alone in my, in my career. And that's why I kept quitting. And then as a result of that, while I was at the law, you know, I started another company I was doing the documentary in there and in doing the documentary I made something that was like all heart right. it was about my family it my sister and I couldn't fire each other so what's yeah that? well no, I'm just saying just for context this is the documentary did about your experience of trying to find a girlfriend and a mate yeah, that's and, right, and right coming from a, a traditional Indian culture in which like there's a matchmaking aspect that's right that's right, right. it's called meet the Patels um, and because it was such a work of passion and because of even the experience of making it where I made it with my sister, basically mm-hmm. with my family, um, and, and you know, our relationships are a million times deeper as a result of that experience. Right. 
My sister and I even lived together for most of that time when we were making it. It was such an intense... Yeah. It, it, the, the whole experience became... Like, I remember before having any idea that the movie would, you know, do well. I, I remember thinking, this is already the best thing that's ever happened to me. And Yeah. Isn't that... And that's what taught me what art is. Right. And that also taught me to live artfully and what I want my life to be about and who I want to be. Right. I know I fast forwarded that. Part. that no, no, no. I think that's, I think that's wonderful. And I think it's really interesting. And I think, um, it, it's something that like I kind of struggle with as like quote unquote an artist or somebody at least is in an artistic field. Um, what, what do you mean? You, you are an artist. Yeah. Okay. I'm an artist. Sure. Yes. What are you talking feels, about? It feels weird to say that, but cause I, I just, it feels pretentious to say that, but yes, that's what it is. But that's because you're probably around people who make you think that's a pretentious thing to say. You yes. are. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, it's fuck like, them. First of all, uh, if to be a writer and to not be happy, to not love what you write mm-hmm. is fucking dangerous. I'm sorry. Sure. It is different from being a banker. No, for sure. I, I, t- I entirely agree. It's just like a little bit like, you know, there's a, there's a reason why there's one guy who, it's like a Jim Jeffries joke, but he was like, you know, we don't, we don't govern to the most people. Like there's one person who, it's uh, like, I do drugs like a fucking champ. Right. But there's one person who smoked a little crack and stabbed her kid and now nobody can do drugs. <laughs> It's like, you know, there's one asshole who calls himself an artist, and then I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> um, that's a long way to say, like, yes, right. artist, sure. But, like, I think... Well, by the way, dude, if, if you weren't an artist, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be writing as just a job. You wouldn't act for a job, because every other job is way less stress in terms of, like, your self-esteem, sure. the uh, instability... Like, there are just so many other things where you can do the amount of work it takes to succeed in this thing and the amount of risk it takes to succeed in this thing. Yeah. And not have it beat the crap out of you as much. Oh, I think it's definitely a vocation. I think it's because it's also like a little bit, it is like a drug and an addiction. Like, there is such euphoria to it. Like, oh, yeah. Like, when you actually like do something that you're fucking proud of, it's fuck, it's, oh, it's yeah. the best. And also, just like the fact that, you know, I get to spend most of my day laughing. I spent like 70% of my day laughing. There's a lot of annoyances. It's incredible. Yeah. Because it's a job. Yeah. And there's like a lot of politicking and things that are like, ugh. Yeah. And you know, but that's every job. But like, I get to spend most of my day laughing. Mostly like making dick jokes. And like, you get to like, be a charming person and like, take on characters. And right. That's exciting. It's fun. I guess what I was just, the whole reason I got into this before I got sidetracked by the artist thing is the level of you said like you know your uh, your documentary made you closer to your family, right? Yeah. And it was like a, it's a beautiful journey to watch, and it's really you can see the closeness. But then like as you're making something, you're making something for a product, right? Right. You want to make this thing, yeah. and it's also like something I've wrestled with is like the level of opportunism. Like I'm yeah. gonna make this thing and try to pivot it into something that people will watch or buy. Do you know what I mean? Like, why is this, why is my story so interesting? I guess, like, even just in doing this podcast, right. like, I think it's, I think it's nice. I think it's, I think it's helped people in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really earnest and I like that. But it's yeah. also, like, there's a certain level of opportunism. Like, I'm putting it out there and it's my name on it. Right. It's like, hey, a little bit, look at me. And, and are you saying that you're conflicted? You're conflicted by the Sometimes, opportunity? Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's just, 
I think first of all, like this podcast is an example of a of a beautiful intersection between the two. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't with either. Having something which gives you a return. I also think it's about understanding, and this is something that I think comes with age. And I'm assuming you're the same way. My bottom line today is way different than what it was even five years ago. Right. You know, five years ago, I was really focused on achieving. Like I just wanted to to make it. You know, and do well. Like I'm literally thinking about things like upward mobility and making money. Now, you know, at least, you know, as long as I have the luxury, my bottom line is like experience. It's about what's giving myself uh, and my wife and my future daughter like a better, happier life. What's giving me personally an opportunity to learn more about myself and to you know have a greater impact on. Um, the people I love around me and, and the community. Right. You know, that, that to me plays into the opportunism. And I think if, if you get good at it, and also, you know, I think, look, specifically, you write on a network television show. I think, you know, I've acted in a, in a ton of network television and, and I, I don't think I've ever, like, I'm trying to, I probably have been in a show that I thought was like, fun, like, I know I've had fun. I always meet cool people. For sure. I, you know, they're all smart, whatever. But like, I've never thought, like I've never been a network show and thought like, oh, this is this, this is stretching is, me. This is stretching me, or like, I'm having a, a blast as an actor right, right now. No, it's because I know what that is. That is the network TV thing is like the ninety percent opportunism, ten percent art, and it affords me the opportunity to go off and do, do the something. thing that's got the inverse uh, uh, proportions. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think that's. I mean. Like the way that you became so much closer with your family. Like I did a podcast with my dad two weeks ago and it was fucking great. Yeah. Because it was like, we sat down and just chatted for an hour and that's something we never do in like a real context. I mean, he was still like a showman, which he always is. Right. You know, I think you can understand that. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but like there is uh, but it was just lovely to actually talk about real stuff. Yeah. And I feel like something like this, it's, it's weird that something like this is like the only opportunity that provides us to do that. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how I'm fascinated by how relationships with parents evolve with age. I'm fascinated by how little I cared to know or ask yeah. for so long. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm fascinated by like the, the kind of like shift in roles like you know you know like with my parents it's like it's like shifting into a friendship you know it's like it's like yeah. we're friends and there's also a degree to which I'm their parents they continue to be mine but there's also a degree to which you know like I'm teaching them certain things sure. or helping them do certain it's things it's a bizarre when that happens when you go from like being in the simplest terms from being a child to being a peer to kind of being a parent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a parent to your parents mm-hmm. and not that like that's that's oversimplification but like yeah. when you're in a place where like you can help yeah you know both intellectually emotionally financially in a way that yeah that used to be just allocated purely to them yeah. you know and it's it's a bizarre dynamic shift it, yeah and it, it takes it takes a real at least for me it's taken a real recognition of that shift and an active attempt to break habits and triggers in terms of how we interact. Right. So like there is a there is a point in our life where 
things became really rote and they're asking the same questions mm-hmm. and I'm giving kind of the same one word answers and like they're clearly like bored but trying to move it forward sure. and I'm clearly like bored and pretending to be there you know and then I realized I'm like oh I want to ask these like go ahead oh just got to interrupt but like was that did that happen to align with like that period that you were talking about like the period when you're in college and first out of college uh, no it happened it happened so like the thing with like my parents were, were that little that little period of time it wasn't a long period but mm-hmm. there was definitely a period where these conversations got really like boring stagnated yeah and I think it happened when I was in my like kind of like like kind of most lost state in life yeah you know it was like right around the time when I had and it wasn't that period it wasn't the period where you were in like a where you have money no 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 so that was in high school no it wasn't it was investment no this was like right around the time when I had I've had two panic attacks this was the period between those two okay Okay. that's a good time (laughs) that's a good time uh uh and, and, and realizing like oh this is a pattern I want to break and then I would just start like asking them questions about random stuff and asking them questions like why and how does that make you feel yeah. and it's amazing how much trust that created in our relationship and how they just became cooler people to me right away because you're being curious and you're, you're invested as opposed yeah, being to just thoughtful being, yeah and, and, I, and, I, and I think I, I like didn't realize I had the responsibility nor the power to be a real human right. and that I actually have an effect on how that, I don't think it took me a long time to realize that my parents are people when you're younger you don't see them that way you see them as like oh these are the people that either tell me what to do and put food out they're not they're not real people they're your parents they're this other entity yeah you don't experience them the same way yeah so I think it takes a long time to finally see them for being like vulnerable fallible beings yeah. Who like have wants and desires, and one of those wants and desires is to like know you better. Yeah. Because probably a lot of things has happened since they've really known you. They saw you like form, but then <laughs> flittered away. And in the meanwhile, we've all changed because we all evolved. Yeah. Are, are do you are you close to your dad? I mean, I assume you are. I am. I am. Um, but then I go through, you know. I definitely go through periods where it's just like kind of by rote, like we on phone call and we're like how what are you up to this week and it's just not I mean it's not by rope but it's just like mm-hmm. catching up yeah and that's that's it and that becomes a relationship for a while and then yeah. you, you know you when you actually spend some quality time you like actually mm-hmm. delve deeper when you take the interest the best interest to be like what else are you thinking and feeling not yeah. just beyond like what happened this week right right and bills and whatever yeah I mean that's like the good stuff it's just hard to, to remember you get so busy and you, you get, get self-involved because yeah. you're trying to make it and like that's been one of my I'd say in the last year and a half like the thing that I've worked on the most and I don't even feel like I'm there yet but it's like real like you know there was a point where I was just working all right. day like every day and that's cool and all but it comes at the expense of just being a brother and being a son being a friend and uh that's like the last year and a half. That's the thing that I think I've worked on a lot that I still don't have nailed down, but like just making an effort to try to be there and just to ask questions right. in an effort to, to show that like, like how oh, this is a cool thing I have. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to do that work, especially, I don't know, in this town. <laughs> Seriously. It helps to move to the Valley. I'll tell you what, there's no, sure. there's no temptation for me here now. No. You can come here anytime you want. We'll sit in this baby room. 
But also, it makes you, uh, by and large, uh, happy for what you have. <laughs> Wait, at Valley Village? Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, because all you have is what you have is all you have. Yes. In Valley Village. Yeah. There is. I got my hair cut on the it's way a here great at, a, at a Floyd's. You heard of this place? Floyd's? Floyd's. Yeah, you, Floyd's. You pro Floyd's? I've never been to a Floyd's. There's a Floyd's like in my neighborhood. Well, I, okay, well, so maybe it's a good thing. Okay, so that's how stuck up I am, okay? I come okay. from a place called Venice, okay? Yeah. Oh, wow. Used to get my yeah. hair cut. Used to get my hair cut on Abbot Kinney. Uh-huh, 80 sure. bucks a cut. Oh, I yeah. walk into this Floyd. Place, they cut it in 10 minutes is 26 bucks wow it's like a real barbershop experience not still a bougie barbershop experience but a barbershop experience yeah I guess it's bougie what's yeah. the real Valley Village barbershop experience I don't know. I don't by the way you know Valley Village is actually North Hollywood I figured this yeah. out yeah. just recently you knew this I mean I assumed so they rebranded this neighborhood it helps but when you order things mm-hmm. it won't accept Valley Village Valley Village sounds nicer they put North Hollywood yeah. on the thing otherwise it's smart <laughs> Um, we had sidetracked, but did we, did I interrupt you from the moment you were saying like the story that you had was, because I think First of all, sidetrack. how long have we been talking? I, I think it's three hours. <laughs> did I ruin your show? No, no, no. Is it going to get canceled? There's no, no, look, you have to like have any people have to be invested. There's no, this is just me. Man. There's no canceling this. This is going to keep going forever. You're going to be the first podcast to ever get canceled. I know. Just by, just by popular demand. Stop. Stop. Lack of any demand. Uh, well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate yeah, you thanks, uh, man. putting me in your, um, uh, what do we, this uh, pedophile startup room? The baby, baby room. The baby room. And uh, for chatting with me. Yeah. Come by when the baby's born. Well, I can do that. Well, that was a delightful little chat with my good friend, Ruby. Uh, thank you, Ruby, for having me over to your home and for allowing me to chat with you in your future child's nursery. I think probably definitely the most interesting place that we've had in one of these chats. Not creepy at all, but it was fun. It was a good time. Uh, if you want to see what else is going on with Ruby, you can check him out on Twitter. It's at ShowMeTheRuby. At ShowMeTheRuby, R-A-V-I. Who doesn't love a good Jerry Maguire pun, you know what I mean? Um, and also, if you've not checked out his documentary, Meet the Patels, please do so. It's a delight. You'll like it. If you like rom-coms especially, go check this shit out. It's a real-life one of those. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Terribly underscore funny. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook page. It's Terribly Funny Podcast. We also have an email account, because who doesn't? We'd be ridiculous if we didn't have an email account. This isn't the 1997s. Weird way to say that, Steve. But anyways, we have an email, and it's terribly funny podcast at Gmail. Please drop us a line. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, or just say hi. We love to hear from you. Um, and I think that's it. Other than to say thank you to Hayden Fongheiser and Julia Pot and Kingdom Flying Club for all the technical help, for the art, for the music, um, and thank you to you guys because you guys are the super sweetest of bros. I love you very much, and you make this whole thing worthwhile. You guys are great. Have a great day. Mwah.